0: So so my daughter and I were uh, out on a trip, we were in Iceland, and uh, as I'm starting to tell you this story, I realize I haven't okayed this with her. But um, so we were, one of the day trips we took was to go see one of those geothermal, um, you know, parks that had all the steam coming out and things like that, and we wanted to wanted to see what that was like, and it was, it was sort of like, it wasn't the big one, I didn't want to go to the big one, that was like, it was all touristy. I wanted to go to the real geothermal, you know. And it looks like a moonscape out there, and it was just, just these, these, these big um, uh, steam pillars coming up, except that it was so windy that those steam pillars were like totally horizontal. And there was this really kind of gravelly dirt, hard to follow road, and this kind of parking lot to get there and then really walk out there and see everything. So she was driving at the time, which is probably most of the reason why we had some problems. But um, when, when she was behind the wheel and we're driving and we're, we, to get to the parking lot, we had to drive through this, this wall of steam. And so we kind of entered the wall of steam. And, and before you know it, you just can't see anything at all. And I'm saying, slow down. And she says, Dad, I, said, I said, slow down. She goes, Dad, no, just slow down. She says, Dad, I'm stopped. And I look over the speedometer, you know, it's like laying there. And we're just, you couldn't see anything anywhere. We were stuck, and we were essentially endangered. I just kept having this picture of, a car, whatever the car was going to be, it was larger than our car. And it was just going to, all of a sudden, we're going to see it, like, connected to the front of our bumper and hitting us. But we needed to move forward to get out of that problem. We needed to take a step of faith. We need to keep moving forward, even though we couldn't see where we were going. And and in our passage today, Abraham finds himself in that same position. So the title of today's message is Blessed to be a Blessing passages, Genesis 12, 1 through 8. And the big idea is God blesses Abraham so that he can be a blessing to all. So um, there are four parts to this message. The first part is the call. The second is the response. The third is the blessing. And then we're going to close out with the place and the point. And so as, as we go through this four first part, before we start on that, we want to do an introduction to Abraham. So he's our lead actor this morning. So, as I was studying for this message, I heard a lot of scholars who were saying, and they were making this claim, that behind Jesus, the next most important figure in the Bible could be Abraham. I thought, wow, ahead of Moses, ahead of David, ahead of the Apostle Peter, the Apostle Paul. If that's true, that makes our glimpse of Abraham this morning pretty important. So but what was the defense? What was their assertion for the argument for Abraham? So let's start with this. First of all, God spent the first 11 chapters of the Bible talking about such major topics as a creation, the start of the human race, the fall, mankind, the flood, Tower of Babel. That's 11 chapters. Then when we get to Abraham, it stops, and with Abraham we go through 14 chapters. So the Bible really slows down when we get to Abraham. The first 11 chapters, 2,000 years, Abraham, 14 chapters. But then I was thinking, well, that's the Old Testament. What about the New Testament and the theological richness that's there? Well, Abraham's the lead example. He's that first face on the Mount Rushmore of faith. And we know from Hebrews 11:6 that without faith it's impossible to please God. Then the author of Hebrews goes on to use Abraham as the first person that you meet when we go through the Hebrews 11 hall of faith. Okay, but what about the great doctrinal issues of the New Testament and the great doctrinal issues of Christianity? Well, what's more foundational than justification by faith? John Calvin said justification is the main hinge on which our salvation turns. Martin Luther agreed, saying justification is the article by which the church stands and falls. Hebrews 10 and 11 is the pinnacle of Paul's argument for justification by faith. Who does he use? Moses? Nope. David? Nope. John the Baptist? The Apostle Peter? Nope. Nope. When Paul The great doctrine writer of the New Testament teaches them the true gospel. He uses salvation by faith, and the example he uses is Abraham, the subject of our message this morning. Abraham is called a friend of God more than any other biblical figure. So we begin our Genesis journey that places Abraham at the center of a path. It's not a step on the way to the good stuff. This is the good stuff. So, op- if we open our Bibles to Genesis 12, we look, don't look past these first eight verses. In meeting Abraham, we're seeing the Genesis or the origins of the Jewish people. We're seeing the Genesis or the origins of justification by faith. Most importantly, we're seeing the Genesis of a promise, a commitment that God is making to Abraham, to Abraham's descendants, and to every family on the earth. If you turn in your Bibles to uh, Genesis 12, If you didn't bring a Bible, that's okay. We're going to put the uh, verses up on the the screen behind me. But before we start, let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Father, we thank you that you love us. Please open our eyes and open our hearts to your word. Lord, help me be a faithful minister of this passage and of your heart. So starting at verse one, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you are a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you I will curse. And in all the families of the earth you shall be blessed. So Abraham went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took his Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abraham passed through the land to a place at Shechem, to the oak of Moriah. And at that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country, to the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. Genesis 12one through 8. So our first point that we're exploring in this passage is the call of Abraham. God is calling Abraham to leave his familiar family and start a faith family. So we can see this call of Abraham by God. There are four specific characteristics of this call. First, God called Abraham by name. God is speaking to Abraham. It's not a general call. It's not an advertisement in the newspapers or on the radio. The Lord said to Abraham, this message is for you, not for your father, not for your wife, not for your nephew. There's plenty of general commands in the Bible. But this is not a command, this is not an instruction, this is a call, and it's deeply personal. This is a call to Abraham by name. The second characteristic we see in the passage is that God is calling Abraham to leave something and to join something else. Go from your country to the land that I will show you. There will be an element of this call that is a complete break with the old and a complete adoption of the new. Go from, go to. The New Testament has a parallel, leave and cleave. The call of God inv- involves leaving one thing behind and giving yourself wholly to something else. The third element of this call is it, is it calls Abraham to make an act of faith. God is calling Abraham to a land that I will show you, not the land that you already know, not the land that you've watched YouTube videos of. This is completely new for Abraham. We're not in full explanation mode. This is not a comprehensive project plan. There are few details and an unknown destination. Abraham is to start a trek that will test his faith in God. The fourth characteristic of the call is a sacrifice and risk go from your country and your kindred and your father's house. Abraham is asked to leave the place where he had property and relations and relationships. He was leaving the familiar, not for the unfamiliar, but for the completely unknown. This call is similar to a marriage. It starts with a proposal, and the proposal is by name. Second, You're asked to leave your home, leave your family, leave your people. And not only that, but a couple of chapters later, Abram gets a new name, Abraham. Like a marriage, it's a major step of faith. Take my name, my family identity, and now go to a place that you really don't know anything about and join yourself to me for the rest of your life. God was saying, leave your family and join mine. We will start a new family. Abraham. Will you accept my proposal? The fact is that God called Abraham to follow him. The instruction is for Abraham to leave one location and go to another. But the call is that God is calling Abraham to be the father of the line and the lineage that will produce a savior. From Abraham will come the Messiah. There's a famous Chinese proverb It says every great journey begins with the first step. Abraham is pondering that first step to fathering the family tree that will produce Isaac and Jacob, Moses and Joshua, Samuel and Elijah, King David and King Solomon. But ultimately, this family will produce an itinerant preacher from backwater Galilee born in a manger, crucified on a Roman cross, raised from the dead to become the savior of the world. Was Abraham wise or foolish to leave the known for the unknown? It's an important question because we're being asked the same question. Should we leave the path that we're on and follow another one? over 40 years ago, I was following a path in life. All the intersections and all the decisions were about me. All the billboards and the signs were about me and what made me happy. I could have followed that road just like everyone else, just about everyone else. But similar to Abraham, I was faced with a choice. Do I leave my path and follow one that joins me to the family of God? Do I follow a new road, the road of faith, and all the intersections and decisions take me further into a life of discipleship, grace, and sacrifice? That's our application. That's the question for this passage we're asking of us. Abraham received that call from God, and God was calling me 40 years ago, and now maybe today he's calling you too, by name, to leave the familiar for something better, to act in faith, to join his family. If you're already a Christian, well, you're not off the hook. God confirms his call to Abraham again in chapter 15, and he expands that call in chapter 17. Christian, what deeper level of discipleship, of obedience, of joy, is God, con- God calling you today? Where is God calling you deeper down that path? Well, I could relate a personal story, uh, but I don't think I'd be able to f- make it through today. But I can tell you that the path of God, the path that Abraham found out, was not an easy one. But it's full of true joy, it's paved with grace, and it's bounded by love. And always in front of us is hope. Let's see Abraham's response. Abraham responded in faith and obedience. So Abraham went just as the Lord had told him, just as the Lord had told him. So let's not get too far down asking this question before we ask the question, what is faith? Hebrews 11.1 1 defines faith for us. Now faith is the, insur- is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things unseen. That's our biblical definition of faith. But what does faith look like? Uh, 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 Pastor Tim Keller, the late Pastor Tim Keller, gives us a taste of what that looks like. The only person who dares wake up a king at 3 o'clock in the morning for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. We have that kind of access because that child has assurance and conviction in their daddy. What does that faith look like? I can walk into my daddy at 3 a.m. and I can ask him for a drink of water. It doesn't matter what my daddy's title is or how important my daddy is in the political world or the business world or the medical world because he's my daddy. And if daddy says, pack up, we're going on a trip, I'm thinking, oh boy, I'm on an adventure with daddy. That's what faith looks like. Now, you come up to me after church and you tell me, but Pastor George, you don't know my situation. No, I I don't know your situation, but I know God, and he's Lord over that situation, and he's still in complete control. No matter what your situation is, the Lord is still in complete control. Can I get an amen? I'm going to do it again. I'd like to rewind that, give you guys another chance, okay? No matter what your situation God is still in control. Amen? Okay. I was concerned maybe some of you were nodding off. Did Abraham respond in faith? Again, I think Hebrews 11 has our answer. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place where he would receive an inheritance, not knowing where he was going. When he was commanded, he responded, it's not clear, but it sounds like it was immediate. Charles Spurgeon in his sermon on Genesis 12 said this, just as the thunder follows the lightning flash more closely when the storm is near, so when faith is near, the thunder of our obedience follows a mighty flash of God's influence in our hearts. If God bids us to do, we should do at once. Abraham went without hesitation. There's no selfish negotiations. God, if if you do this, then I'll do that. There's no whining, no complaining. Did he go joyfully? Doesn't say. But we don't need to know. If he resisted, it was internal. If it was joyful, it was internal. The key was that responding in faith is responding. So, how do we respond in faith today? God's call to Abraham involved leaving one place and building a home in another. What if God calls me to India or Malawi or Thailand? Well, remember that God's call to Abraham was more, was less about location and more about vocation. God's call upon Abraham did not, leave, did, did not, was, not to tra- was not to travel as much as it was to join, to unite to follow. So, how do we respond in faith today? Well, to answer that question, we must ask this first fundamental question, have you joined God's family? The first call of God is to put your trust in Jesus Christ. If you've not taken that step in your heart, there's no physical step that will do you any good. If you've not taken that first step of accepting what Christ did on the cross as full payment for your sins and being adopted into God's family, You don't have to guess what God may be calling you to do. That is what God's calling you to do. Like Abraham, the first step will be joined to God's family. But is the application for us, what's the application for us who are already part of God's family? What is our application if we're already part of God's family? Well, my wife loves puzzles. She'll open the box up and then she'll lay out all the pieces, get them flat, and then she'll turn them around so they're all face up. Then she'll find the four most important pieces in the box, and they are? Golly, I was thinking maybe one or two people. But you guys are a lot smarter than the rest of the pastors give you credit. So, what... What she then does is she takes the edges, right, and she builds the border around, and then she makes little piles based upon patterns or colors or something like that. And then she starts to build this beautiful picture. Well, we're all part of that beautiful picture that God is making. We're part of the story that he's telling. He'll pick us up and he'll put us over here for a season and for a purpose, and then he'll move us and put us over here. Sometimes, we can see the rhyme and the reason. Sometimes it may seem completely random. It never is. God using us is never random. Finally, we're snapped into place, the picture takes shape. maybe, often, not from our vantage point, but certainly from God's. We might not see what it looks like, but God does. The problem is this analogy breaks down here because God in his infinite wisdom is using us in numerous places and stories all the time at the same time. Sometimes we're major players, sometimes we're a background piece. But all in his love and creativity, we're being used over and over and over again. So what's the application? Keep obeying, keep following. You don't see the purpose now. You may not see it till heaven but obey he's using you for good so what happened to abraham well he made a promise he god made him a promise and the promise was god was received abraham received a promise of blessing and i will make you a great nation i will bless you and make you a great name so that you will be a blessing so we've come to the pinnacle of this passage and maybe arguably the pinnacle of the Old Testament. Why? Because there's a huge step taken in this verse. Back in Genesis 3, God states, I'm going to send a savior. Here, to Abraham, he promises a blessing, but more a lineage of a blessing that will reach every human being on the planet. So let's take this, this promise in three bites. What is a blessing? What's the impact of that blessing? And finally, what are the terms of that blessing? So what is a blessing? So we peel this apart. We, um, we often say things like, well, I was blessed because I didn't run into traffic on a trip, or, or I've been blessed to keep my job through the pandemic. But blessing, especially this blessing, is more than just nice things happening. Okay, The Hebrews word here in Genesis 12 is berakah. And there's really no English, perfect English translation. But it's that sense of blessing, a source of blessing, prosperity. In other places, it's translated benefit and generous and gift and, interestingly, peace. So I'm going to kind of pen my own translation. A blessing is a fountain of good things. God is going to make Abraham a fountain of good things. What's the impact of that blessing? Let me give you a visual representation of God blessing Abraham. So we've all seen pictures of a pebble dropping into water, or a drop of water that hits a serene, flat surface, right? And there's this ripple effect that goes out all across the face of the water. The blessing blessing that God placed upon Abraham is like that, only different. The blessing of God drops on Abraham, and it ripples out from there. In our picture, the ripples go out and they get smaller. In God's blessing of Abraham, the blessing ripples go out and become bigger and bigger and bigger until it becomes a tidal wave. Abraham would be blessed. Abraham's allies would be blessed. His enemies would be cursed. Abraham's seed, his lineage, his offspring will bless every family on earth. The final ripple that final wave goes out with tsunami proportions, not because of what the final wave is, but because of who the final wave is. Abraham would go to a land flowing with milk and honey, but the land was not the reward. Abraham would become a great nation. He would, his name would become renowned. His allies would be blessed. His enemies would be cursed. But do not misunderstand. The promise is not for fame, for vast tracts and livestock and riches, the reward is not that you were barren and you'll now have children. This is not a health and wealth promise. This is not the blessing. Hebrews 11 tells us that Abraham fully understood the blessing. Abraham knew the ramifications of the covenant God was making with him and with his progeny. Abraham's, uh, uh, Hebrews 11, 9 through 10, by faith he, Abraham, went to live in a land of promise he was looking forward to a city that has foundations, the Hebrew Bible says, has permanent foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It's not about a place or a location or dirt, it's about God. Abraham stands in the middle of time. Like Adam before him, he's a representative. Adam stood before God and received the curse, Abraham stands before God and receives the blessing a covenant with God. Abraham is our representative to receive the promise of God. Back in Genesis 3, God said that he was going to send a savior, a serpent crusher. Here, now, with Abraham, God makes a covenant, a promise. And Abraham, I'm going to do it through you. I promise I sign a contract based upon my name that there will be one more representative. He will stand before me. Only this time, perfect, clean, righteous, and worthy. The sin that was introduced to every family in the world through the fall of Adam and Eve in Genesis 3 will now be addressed, because I will place upon this one man the sin of all mankind for centuries before and centuries after. The call to a covenant addresses every human need. And this call addresses every human longing. The Messiah, the Savior, addresses every human need because our greatest need is to have our sins forgiven and our relationship with God restored. Every human need, the greatest human need, is that our sins are forgiven and our relationship with God is restored. The call to address our greatest human longing is because our greatest longing, the cry of our hearts, is to be loved and loved unconditionally. And that's what Jesus did on the cross for us. Not only was he the propitiation of our sin, but he was also the vehicle of our adoption into God's family. He took our place of punishment so that we could take his place as favored, beloved, blessed. Finally, what are the terms of the blessing? One more thing, one more important point we need to grasp. God and Abraham are face-to-face, metaphorically, and they're about to strike a deal, the most important agreement ever made in history and will continue to be so until it's fulfilled by Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Above me, I hope, we're getting there. Nah, we're there, good. Above me is the Abrahamic covenant found in Genesis 12. But if you read this covenant that's being made, you're going to notice that there's a tiny word that's missing. There's a two-letter word that's not found in this contract. And I'm going to let you look while I take a sip of water. What's that word? It's the word if. There's no if in that promise. There's no if in that contract. There's no performance clause. There's no, if I do this, then you'll do that. This is not a covenant between God and Abraham. This is a covenant that God made with Abraham. A moment ago, I said that God and Abraham were about to strike a deal. I didn't say they were negotiating a deal. This is not a merger. This is an adoption. God is saying, I'm taking you for mine. You are part of my family. You have a seat at my kitchen table every morning and every night. You are now family. This isn't about performance. This is about grace. We've covered a lot of ground today. We started by getting to know Abraham. Then we did a deep dive into the call that God was making upon Abraham and the call and the calling of Abraham to leave this familiar family and start a faith family. We looked at Abraham's response and how he responded in obedience and faith. The third thing we looked at was that promise of God that God was making to Abraham was a promise being blessed so that he could be a blessing to the the whole earth. Now we've come to the fourth element, the last element that we draw out of this narrative of Scripture and it's God's place, God's point. God has a place for his people And God has a lesson for us to learn. So why did God have Abraham leave Haran and come to a place in Canaan? Well, God had a place for his people he had now adopted. He now had made a covenant with them. And he also had a point to make. We talked about this covenant that God made with Abraham being like a marriage covenant. And thus God had a home for his family. God was bringing them to a place that they could call home. Now, I need you to stay with me here, okay? I need a little bit of time to develop this. But we're nearing the end. We're about to unearth a real hidden gem in Scripture. God is absolutely incredible. He's amazing, and he's about to show you his glory by revealing it in his word. Stay with me as we read Genesis 12, 6 through 8. Abraham passed through the land to a place at Shechem. Can you say Shechem? Oh, you're still awake? To the oak of Morea, he came uh, at the time the Canaanites were in the land, and the Lord appeared to Abram, and he said, "Your offspring, to your offspring, I give this land." So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there, he moved to the hill country to the east of Bethel, and he pitched his tent with Bethel on the west. Can you say Bethel on the west? Great. And Ai on the east. Can you say Ai on the east? You're with me, I love it. Okay, and there he built an altar to the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. There's so much to unpack here, I'm just gonna need to summarize. God covenants with Abraham, and Abraham sets out for Canaan. Abraham starts by passing through Canaan, and he gets to Shechem, where God restates, all of this is yours to you and your offspring. Abraham memorializes that moment, that promise, that event, by building an altar. Abraham continues his tour of his new home, and he pitches his tent between Bethel and Ai. Those are are cities that we're familiar with because they're mentioned in Scripture several times. The passage seems unremarkable, and we're tempted to read and move on. But there's something notable, there's a notable mirroring of those two passages that looks oddly suspicious. This place is actually unnamed in Scripture. Shechem was named, but this place is unnamed. So why is it important that Abraham pauses his trip, builds an altar, and does something that he didn't do in Shechem, which was called upon the name of the Lord? What's going on in this spot? Well, the word Bethel is derived from a Hebrew word, and that word means house of God. Can you say that with me, house of God? Okay, this is all building. Thank you for cooperation. But the word ai is also derived from a Hebrew word, and it means heap of ruins. Can you say heap of ruins? That's it. So what did Abraham do? He built an altar to remember. Remember the gift of the land. And he called upon the name of the Lord. What do you think that he said? Lord, help. You've called us to this place before this choice. To live with you in the house of the Lord or in a heap of ruins. God had a place for his people and he had a point for his people. We have a choice today God or ruins, blessing or curse. Does that sound familiar? Abraham stands at the gateway to the land that God is giving him and his descendants. He states that there's a choice between the house of God and the heap of ruins. A heap of destruction. A choice between a blessing and a curse. God does this again. He doubles down on that centuries later when Abraham, well, now Abraham's children, are returning to this place. Let's read it in Deuteronomy 11. See, I'm setting before you today blessing and a curse, blessing if you obey the commandments of the Lord which I commanded you today, and a curse if you do not obey the the commandments of the Lord your God. But turn aside from the way that I have commanded you today to go to other gods that that you have not known. And when the Lord your God brings you into the land that you are entering to take possession of it, you shall set a blessing, a blessing on Mount Gerizim and a curse on Mount Ebal. 430 years later, Abraham, after Abraham, God repeats himself. You see, Abraham had a child, Isaac, and Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had his 12 sons, and then there was a famine that was created by God for his glory so that Jacob and his family would go to Egypt where they became very numerous. And God did a mighty works so that they could return home. Back to the land that God had given Abraham so they could go back to their home. God brought Abraham to this place, Shechem, where there is your home. Then he has a choice, a blessing or a house of God or a curse, a heap of ruins. Over 400 years later, God brings Abraham and his descendants to a place place between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. And God says, I'll set uh, set a blessing on Mount Gerizim and a curse on Mount Ebel. Well, Gerizim and Ebel are two neighboring mountains. And in between them is a valley. And in the middle of that valley is a town. And the name of that town is Shechem. Over 400 years later, God brings Abraham and his family back to the same place place. To the exact same place. God restates his covenant that he made with their great-great-grandfather, great-great-great-great-grandfather Abraham, on the very ground that he made it with Abraham. Romans 11 says, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. God had a place for Abraham, a home for his family. And 400 years later, he returned them to that same spot And God had a point, a lesson that he wanted to hammer home. God is unchanging. God is faithful. God is true to his word. God's family needed to learn that because it would be another 1,400 years before before God fulfilled the promise of a redeemer. If I could have the band come up. So what's our application Well, there are two points of application. Application number one, is God calling you? I've talked a lot about God, and I've done it in a very relational way. God is Father, God is friend, God is Savior. You may be wondering about that. You may be wondering if you have that kind of a relationship with God. And if you're wondering, even if you were raised in a Christian home or not, even if you were if you have attended church all your life or not, even if you've been baptized or christened or dedicated or not, you may be wondering, do I have that kind of relationship with God? If you're wondering, I would love to talk to you. I'd love to talk to you after church right up here or talk to one of the pastors. If this conversation has raised questions in your mind or caused you to wonder about what happens after death, it would be my honor to speak to you about that. Please come up after the service application number 2 God's calling us to use our blessing to be a blessing This is for you Christian You know your relationship with God is secure you know your adoption papers are in order and God what is the call that God's making to you Well let me recap the message real quickly God called Abraham to join his family and then for centuries after that blessed Abraham to be a blessing to those all around him Christian God is calling you into his family you're blessed at having a personal relationship with his son. Now, let's go as a church family and be a blessing. What does that mean? What am I supposed to do? Well, I can't gather my flocks and my herds, my house is not zoned for sheep, but let's get to the most basic level. Every family has chores around the house. Our chores are things that we pitch in to do because we're part of the family and we love each other. Grace Kids, our children's church, greeters, guardians, ushers, financial board, Small group leaders, small group members. Then what I call freelancers. Bobby Noski, who gets this crazy idea of renting an upholstery cleaner, and go around the entire uh, church and clean every chair. All 495 of them. Then there's some stuff, uh, 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 then Mark and Debbie Palmer, they get this idea about angel tree, and they've now grown it into a billion dollar industry. So I I did a little back of the envelope calculating on how long they've been doing this and all that they've done. Do you realize the number of families and kids that they've touched is approaching 10,000 kids? Please. Please. 10,000 kids have been through this church or received a gift or received a meal or something through the ministry in this church. Thanks to the Palmers, who got a crazy idea. There's another family who says, hey, we've reached retirement, that comfortable age. We can now relax, or we can go to Southeast Asia and become missionaries. Rippling tidal waves. And there's <clears throat> folks like you, excuse me, <clears throat> who do those little things that you don't realize. So I uh, had a meeting with a client of mine. He's um, really ensconced in the Jewish community. So they're really close and they are really tight. And so we're talking and he asked me about how's your wife doing? And I said, Man. filled him in a little bit. And then he leaned forward on the table, and he put his finger up, and he got it in my face. And he said, your church, and I'm thinking, where is this going to go? Because it was really close. Your church has filled, filled that meal train up so much, we can't get in there and give her a kosher meal. What do I say? Sorry? not sorry? I don't know where that will go, but imagine the conversations that he has with his family. His wife keeps asking him, when can we get on that list? I don't know. Those people won't cut a break in there. Just ripples out, continues to ripples out. And I'm sure there's many times you thought, oh my gosh, we're supposed to take the shield a meal or somebody else a meal or we're supposed to rake leaves over here or we're supposed to do something like that. And you go, ah, and you panic. Well, when you deliver a meal at our house, we pray for you. And I probably cry. Because of God's kindness through you people. God's kindness to all of you. 10,000 kids, an angry Jewish client. You don't know how God has blessed other people through your ministry. Application two, you are such a sacrificial serving church. Don't lose why God blessed Abraham and why God has blessed you. I'd be okay, but there's a lady over here crying, and I'm really struggling. I'll peek up and not, try not to look at her. And if you're not doing anything, if you're not doing anything, don't miss out on the fun of watching God work through you. Amen.